What is crack-a-lackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Cromwell. I am, however, super excited to be joined by first-time guest, Jason Maples. He's an assistant coach uh, for the Contra Costa college men's basketball team. Uh, he's a head coach of the Red and Black AAU program, and he's also the host of the Temple of Hoop podcast, uh, which is also a Blue Wire podcast, so go check them out, Temple of Hoop. It's fun. Him and his co-host, Kings, have a have great chemistry. He comes on. We talk about our most interesting players and teams to watch for the rest of the year. Uh, we did we did talk about the Lakers for a little bit, even though not, neither of us had them on our list, just because uh, Jason has an extensive history rooting for the Lakers, covering the Lakers. So we just we talked about them for a little bit. But we also got into some Pelicans, some Spurs, some Mavericks, some Knicks. Uh, we we ran the gamut here. It was a fun conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Just our usual housekeeping notes. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. If this is your first time checking Hardwood Knocks out, maybe because you are a devout follower of all things Jason Maples, uh, I urge you to throw us that permanent subscription. We are a pleasantly thorough and seriously unserious operation, and we think that you'll enjoy us permanently. Thank you to all our recurring listeners. You guys are awesome. If you have not rated, reviewed uh, us yet, wherever you get your podcast, though, please remember to do that. Also, remember to follow us on social media everywhere. All the links are in the podcast description. We're on Instagram, Twitter, at Hardwood Knox, TikTok as well, YouTube, and we have a Discord channel. So come. Uh, there are a lot of good conversations that happen in there. Uh, we'll hopefully be doing more stuff with Discord moving forward as well. The link is in the podcast description as well. Without further delay, though, let's get to lots and lots and lots of interesting NBA talk with Jason Maples. Jason, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the Harbor Knox podcast the first time I pestered you and you said yes. So I am one of one on request for you. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Like I said before, man, I, I always love, you know, talking basketball with people who I, I interact with on the timeline and I respect, man. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I have two quick tangents about you or three, I guess. <laughs> One, congrats on a good season. I was listening to Temple of Hoop the other last week. I know you guys lost, but you said you made it to the Sweet 16. That's pretty impressive. So congrats on that. Um, the other thing, I consider myself NBA Twitter adjacent, but you seem very embedded in like, pelicans and lakers twitter and i'm wondering <laughs> if you can explain to me the because i don't know the origin of that okay so so um I'm, I'm a laker fan first and foremost that's always going to be the home team um brandon Ingram was my favorite player i've been riding with him you know through the dark times um so when he got traded you know i just i, I do root for the pelicans when they're not playing the lakers so i do root hard for them um this season feels like it might be a little bit of an intersection <laughs> coming with that playing game potentially, but uh, we'll see what happens. But that's all it is. You know, my favorite player plays for the Pelicans, so I support them and, uh, you know, try to want them to do well. But it's always Lakers first, no matter what. Uh, I did bring you on under the guise of discussing the players and teams that we're most interested in seeing for the rest of the year, but I forced Pelicans, <laughs> Lakers into that uh, umbrella. And the Pelicans <laughs> are actually one of the teams for me. So I'm just curious as if you have any overarching thoughts on their season, I'd love to hear those, but I was first and foremost curious about what you thought about the, the CJ McCollum fit in, in new Orleans since the trade deadline. Uh, it's been great. Uh, I, I've been begging uh, for a while now for them to just get another guard who can create. And they got a high level one. Um, my concern was actually the defense, but they've actually defended very well with Ingram and CJ on the court together, which has been a pleasant surprise. But I've just it's been an over, you know, 
pleasant surprise with CJ. But what I didn't know was how good of a playmaker he was. He's a very good playmaker, a passer. I think a lot of that was Barry playing alongside Dame because Dame's always going to be the number one there. So he tried to take a back seat in that regard, you know, for the better man of the team. But he's definitely got some um, better playmaking chops than I thought. So that, that's been pleasant to watch. But overall, just very pleased. If that team can ever get some good luck health-wise, man, they could be really good. They get Zion upright, and then you got Ingram, who's playing probably the best ball of his career, catches a phantom. Not a phantom, but he got his hamstring injury. You can't even see it on during the game when he tweaked it, right? And then, though, CJ catches COVID at the end of a end of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> just bad, bad luck all around. But, you know, they're hanging tough in that 10th spot. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Did you think people were overthinking that trade in the first place? We just trolled the Pelicans for trying to use cap space and missing on Kyle Lowry. Right. And then the, the, the sweeping response was, why would you waste all this flexibility on CJ McCollum? It, it was like sort of a, we can't have this both ways. Right. And I just don't view cap flexibility as like a huge asset in the New Orleans market. I was just going to say that. I think, I think a lot of times on NBA Twitter, I think people just like to breed the the contrarian, right? Because it just brings engagement and, you know, all controversy, you know, it brings attention. But he just, I think, you know, they made a – they swung for Lowry and Chris Paul in the offseason, whiffed badly, uh, had to salvage the losing Lonzo with the Devontae Graham uh, signing, which, you know, hadn't worked out great. They really needed a guard. And I think the best way for a, a small market team who's not a free agent, you know, hotbed to bring guys in, and commit some mistakes through through trades. You know, you trade for CJ, you, you sell him on the area, try to get him to win, and, and then, you know, commit, you know, long-term there. And then his contract is up, you know, when Zion and Ingram's extension kicks in. So if it's not working out by then, you know, it's an easy decision to make. But, you know, you can't you can't fault them for this trade at all. And, and I've been a very critical of Griff over the last few years, but you can't fault him at all for that deal, in my opinion. Um only only asset you gave up was, you know, young asset was Nikhil Alexander Walker. Josh Hart's having a career year, but you got to give up something when you're getting a, a player of CJ McCollum's caliber. So I think it's a trade that's going to work out for both teams, honestly. Yeah. And it was like you said at the top, he filled such a clear need for them this year. Yes. They had the worst shooting backcourt in the league this year. <laughs> off the they needed CJ McCollum, who's come in and is shooting 60 plus percent on twos outside the paint, right? Like that's like absurd even for CJ McCollum. <laughs> Right. It's just, it's just, it's just, I mean, uh, a lot of it is, you know, the, the leap that Ingram took as far as playmaking and the attention he was getting, it just frees up another guard who's going to, you know, make plays. I remember the, there was a play against Phoenix when they, you know, BI started getting it going, they start throwing the kitchen sink. This is the Phoenix thing and they won a couple of weeks ago, not the one they got blown out of yesterday without Ingram, of course. Um, they tried to load up on, Ingram on, on the front side, he just kicked it to the back side of CJ. And it was just one-on-one. And, you know, he's going to win that 90% of the time with his skill set. So I'm just looking forward to stuff like that. And then you sprinkle Zion in on top of that. I mean, this team could really be something if they just can get these guys healthy and on the floor at the same time. And also want to add a kudos to Willie Green, man, because, you know, that team started off 1-12 with no Zion. They definitely could have let go of the rope. He just did not allow it to happen. And, you know, they are they are playing, you know, good basketball overall. Uh, a little bit of a tough stretch when Ingram went down. But overall, since that 1-12 start, I think they've been, you know, around a, a 500 team, if I, if I recall correctly, which is you know, pretty tough given, you know, not having Zion. So that's, that's good for me. 
Uh, that's a perfect t- segue into my next two questions. You had mentioned Brandon Ingram playing career ball and the playmaking leap. What specifically have you noticed that's different about like the passing numbers, of course, back it up. Right. But like, what is he seeing or doing differently as a playmaker this year that he hasn't in years past? I think he started last year, but the thing I've noticed is he doesn't drive anymore with the preconceived action in his mind. Like I think in his younger part of his career, he would like, I'm driving a score and then the shot would just go up with ground. So I'm driving a pass and the pass would go up with ground. I think he's reading the game as it comes to him. And I think that's a huge step to becoming a great playmaker. And, you know, a lot of guys don't reach it. So I think it's a key milestone for him as in I'm going to drive and then whatever defense gives me, I'm going to take, but it's hard because that, you know, decision comes like this on NBA basketball. Right. So everybody doesn't get it. So I think him getting that into his game is just going to make him that much more deadly, especially, like I said, when Zion and uh, CJ get together and they get some chemistry, I think just having that in his game is going to make him so much more of a deadly player. I, I don't know how you're going to defend an offense that has Zion Williamson and CJ right, Brandon Ingram like in it, but I just don't, I'm hoping, I don't know if we'll get to see it this season. I know you alluded to something in your live episode last week that maybe we'd hear some good Zion Williamson news for a change in the uh, he, week or something. Yeah. I talked to somebody who's kind of, you know, somewhat, you know, tapped in on the outskirts out there. And they said that possibly maybe towards the end of the month, you might hear some, some good news about him possibly trying to give it a go. Um, it's just tough because they only have six games in April and it's the playing if they make it. So that's the only decision they got to make. Is it worth, you know, pushing them out there um, or just giving them the whole time, the whole off season to rehab and rest. So we're at that, at that kind of tipping point at this point, we got to make that decision. But um, I think he's, he's trending upward though. You know, he did come back as everybody saw it. He's you know back with the team, which is good. So, you know, we'll see at the end of the month, what they say. Even looking beyond this season, like what does a healthy Zion Williamson do to this Pelicans team ceiling? Like, would it be unrealistic if we're looking ahead to next year? Let's just say he's fully healthy. Don't they feel like they could maybe be a top four team in the West just based off what they've done? I, yeah, see, it's just without him. Yeah, you know what? I, you know, I think in theory, but if you just you know look realistically, so the Warriors are going to be there. Uh, you got to understand the Clippers are getting. 55 points Denver. a game back yeah. next season. Denver's getting Porter and Murray back next season. So I think, you know, those are your top three. Phoenix is not going worse. I think that's your top four. And then you just – you can never count out LeBron and AD depending on what they do in the offseason. So I think those are your top five teams probably. So I think, like, you know, a goal for them is to just try to avoid the play-in. I think a realistic goal is to try to avoid the play-in. But I just think the West is going to be too hectic next year to shoot for top four. It's just, you know, not realistic given what a couple of other teams are having to come back into the fold. Do you place any stock in just the Zion Williamson chatter over the past year, year and a half about his – whether it's his conditioning, his commitment, or lack thereof to the franchise? Like, do you read anything <laughs> into that, or do you think it's been overblown? It's probably a little bit of both, right? Where there's a little bit of smoke, you know, there's some fire. And then also, you know, people like to overdo things. So probably a little bit of both, you know, from, from my opinion. But there's definitely been some, you know, questions about commitment and how, you know, he and Griff don't see eye to eye on everything as far as, you know, managing his minutes or him wanting to play or, or not play or things of that nature. But uh, I think the accurate thing, you know, being a Laker fan who's used to drama, you know, winning silences all of that. You just have a successful team. All that noise goes away. I think that's the bottom line. They just got to win, man. And then all of that stuff, you know, kind of takes care of itself. You know, the player GM relationships, whether or not he wants to be here. You know, if you win, 
you know, all that solved, right? So that's that's, that's got to be the goal going forward. The only noise about Zion that I've actually really enjoyed, and I think he kind of poo-pooed it, was that report that uh, Griff tried to play the piano for him or something <laughs> in the room. I like couldn't believe that that was a real thing, but I'm like kind of upset that maybe it wasn't, or at least Zion claims it wasn't. I, I wanted that to be true just because it's so ridiculous. I, I'll say this. The guy who wrote that, Christian Clark, um, the, the stuff he's always told me about Pelican stuff, it, it's always come to fruition or come to be true after the fact. So I, I'm not going to say that Christian lied about anything. So I'm going to say at least he, he was told by the guys that he talks to that that happened. So I, I'll say that, you know, even if Zion and Griff said it didn't happen. But uh, Christian's not the type of guy to put fake stuff out there. No, and he's killed the Pelicans beat. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. So I'm yeah. still going to hold out hope that it was true or at least it was <laughs> just because that's so ridiculous. Right. Is, just given Zion's injury history, if you're the Pelicans this offseason, are you offering the max extension? And if you're Zion, given your injury history, are you are you taking it? Yeah, I think with these stars, um, they see between the Harden saga, the Anthony Davis uh, saga, the Ben Simmons saga, you know, it, it's pretty easy to, to navigate your way out of a place if you wanted. So worst come to worst, he'll secure his bag. If he's not happy in a year or two, he'll probably just ask out. You know, that that's not a hurdle anymore for these guys. You know, um, I'm not saying any, you know, mental health issues are made up, but these guys will find a way to 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 not play or, you know, halfway be into it and then, you know, find a way to get out. That's kind of what happens. Like, you know, saw saw hard basically quit any game. That Sacramento Kings game hard play before the trade. Oh man. Was some, was, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen from from a quote unquote Actually, from, he is a Hall of Famer from a Hall of Fame player. It was supposed to be, you know, have a standard of how he plays. And I like that that was one of the worst things I, I've ever seen, you know, as far as wanting to get yourself out of a place. You know, that, that was that was low-key embarrassing to the sport. But, you know, these guys have found a way to get out of a place they don't want to be. So I, I don't think it's a concern for Zion. I'll probably sign it. And then, like I said, year two's not happy. Trade me. <laughs> I think there are definitely going to be people who troll the Pelicans if and when they offer it. And we have this tendency on Twitter, whatever, specifically, where we just forget how good players are if they've missed any right. sort of extensive time. Zion was basically an all-NBA player last year. Like, you absolutely he was, yeah, he was. the extension if he's going to take yeah. it. Right, especially, in, especially in, in New Orleans, too, right? You just don't... Yeah. You know, and that you feel for that fan base to an extent because... You know, you lose Chris Paul in his prime, Anthony Davis in his prime, and you get Zion and you lose him before his prime. That's just a lot over like a course of 10, 12 years, man. I just I don't think I've ever seen, you know, talent walk out of a place, you know, at its peak like that in, in a 10, 15 year span. It's kind of crazy to think about. The Pelicans defense specifically, you already mentioned, they've been like league average since their terrible start. It's dipped. Right since the trade deadline, but there's a lot of stuff there. Like I'm not crazy about the Jackson Hayes and playing with another big front course that we've seen. Uh, But they've done just like a really good job of, for the most part, gobbling up the low hanging fruit. If it's like getting back in transition, the rebounding has been off lately, but they've done that fairly well. What, like, what do you attribute to them? I would say overachieving on the defensive end. If you're, if you're calling them maybe a league average defense for the year or close to it. Yeah. Um, how much credit does Willie Green deserve to that? Is that like a, a mindset? Is there anything specific that you've noticed? Is Herb yeah. Jones just that ridiculously good? Like, what, I, think it's, I, I think it's a few things. I think when Willie first uh, got there, I think he got, even early, he got, you know, Brandon to try on defense, which has, you know, been a knock on Brandon, just the effort on that end. 
has been non-existent at times through his career. Career, um, I think he definitely upped the effort on that end. And secondly, it's just Herb Jones is just he'll be an All NBA defender before his career is up. I'm going to say in the next three years, like that's how good he is defensively. And then they have another guard, uh, Jose Alvarado, who is just pesky. You know, he makes stuff happen. They just have a lot of guys that that just try hard. Um, and I always thought that CJ was a little bit underrated defensively. In Portland, he was just asked to guard a lot bigger guys in his position. And I think, you know, that's kind of been rectified since he's come over. So, you know, he's he's not a turnstile defensively. You know, just, just average. I think Ingram's been average. I think Herb has been really good. And, you know, JV struggles in, in, in pick and roll. But, you know, he does finish possessions with rebounds. And, you know, that, that stuff does matter, you know, cleaning up possessions at the end. So, um, I think it's all hands on deck board. I think that team understands that if, we, if they can just get to league average offensively with the weapons they have, you know, they'll be in every game. You mentioned Jose Al- Alvarado is like a joy to watch. He is joy just, all, there was, it was garbage time granted against the Suns, but he was like derailed Bismack Biombo's role to the basket. It's just six foot guy, like fronting yeah. Bismack Biombo on his, it's just, he's so much fun to watch. Yeah. He's you just, and you need, and you need guys like that, you know, when you're building a, a culture, you know what I mean? You need guys like that. We're going to, you know, establish a, a work ethic for everybody who comes in. And I think, you know, that's what he, he does. Herb Jones does. And Willie Green is, you know, done as the head coach, but having guys on the roster who are going to claw and scrap every day, you know, sets a tone for everybody else. And I think that stuff, that intangible stuff matters when you're trying to, you know, build something from scratch, which what which is what New Orleans is trying to do, trying to just reset a basketball culture there. So all that stuff matters. Uh, my final question on the Pelicans, we know they're missing Zion. Aside from Zion, is there just like a specific need, whether it's a specific player or player archetype that you think they need to try and add over the offseason or at least to like reach that next level in the West? Yeah, I think, and I, and I said this, I think the uh, an underrated part of that deal was getting Larry Nance uh He's going to start scrimmaging next week, according to some you know, reports I've read. And I think just adding a versatile frontline guy who can give them a different look when, you know, uh, Jonas starts getting killed in pick and roll. They don't have that right now. This is just Hayes and Jonas and, and Hernan Gomez. And those guys are, you know, pretty much the same defensively going to sit and drop, uh, not going to get out and switch. So, you know, it's, you know, same attack method for the opposition. I think Larry Nance gives you a little more switchability and versatility on defense. Once he gets out there, so I think that's going to really help them, you know, take a, another half step, you know, defensively at, at some point. But other than that, man, probably just, uh, you know, they can always use more shooting, man, and another guard who can shoot. You know, the shooting is the – that's the name of the game in the NBA, man. Can you stretch this floor and, and make them when it matters? So, you know, it would be nice if Devontae Grant could become efficient, but it's just – this is not him. Me and year four now, he's just – that's just who he is. He's a streaky guy. Is there, and I know he's been shooting better since the trade deadline, but he just still doesn't play that much. Like, is there, like, Trey Murphy the third, like, still part of this team's, like, long-term plan? I was really excited about yeah, him. I, I think so. I think a part of it is, uh, um, I think, when I talk to people, when I asked him, I think Willie's kind of making him earn his keep a little bit. And I think that's just part of, of, of a rookie, you know, earning, uh, making his way in the league. Um, I think Willie himself was, a you know, a late pick, a scrapper. So, I think, you know, guys like, you know, Najee Marshall and, and Tony Snell maybe may appeal to him a little more than the than the first round rookie. You know what I mean? But I think eventually, you know, Trey, his talent's going to show and he's going to sit those guys down. But I think this is a good learning experience from I think. And he's and Ingram has actually talked to the media about, you know, keeping him locked in every day 
and having him understand the bigger picture about what's coming for him and not be too down on what's happening right now. So I think he's definitely a part of the long-term picture. I normally don't like to torture my guests, but I do have a few questions on the Lakers. Uh, hey, man, I, I mean, you know, I, I tell people that I just, you know, my company line right now is they stink, but I'll definitely go further into <laughs> detail if you wish. <laughs> is I, I think the general question is, can this season be salvaged like nope. to any extent? Nope. Nope. Uh, I think the absolute ceiling is they, you know, win the play-in. Uh, still going to have to beat the Clippers, I think. <sighs> Whoever loses that Clippers, uh, that Clippers Timberwolves game is going to be a tough matchup for the Lakers, regardless. I think you almost want to play against the Timberwolves more so than the Clippers because Ty Lue kind of has the Lakers number since he's been in the Clippers. Um, it's the, the absolute ceiling is win the play in and then, you know, walk the plank against Phoenix, man. <laughs> that's that's the absolute ceiling for this season. And just try again in the offseason, man. You know, you got AD and you got LeBron. You know, there there could be worse building box to build around. Those are two solid, you know, foundational pieces. And you got to go from there. And number one, pray that Anthony Davis is able to stay healthy for, you know, for once in his career without a four-month break. <laughs> yeah, um, that would be awesome. Uh, I still, there's like the part of me that says if Anthony Davis is healthy, I don't want to see him in LeBron in round one. But like, that feels like such a last year take. This year, if I'm Phoenix... That's what I'm saying. I just they don't. Not, it's like whatever. <laughs> I mean, the the rest of that team is so ill fitting and bad. It just doesn't matter. Um, even the guys like so Malik Monk's been a great story. You know, Reeves has been a great story. But in the playoff series against a team that just went to the finals and is pissed off because they didn't win and wants to get back, and it's obviously Chris Paul's mission. rested. Apparently, right. <laughs> I mean, do you really trust those guys? to, you know, give LeBron and AD what they need over the course of seven games. You know what I mean? It's just you got to be realistic at, at some point with the expectations here. So, I mean, salvage for me is when to play in and, you know, get some national TV games in the playoffs. That's it. How does should blame be doled out for this, for this entire situation? See, here's my thing about that. I really don't care. I mean, <laughs> I is, I, and I tweeted that this morning, I was like, all this stuff about whose fault is it doesn't really matter. Just get it fixed in the offseason, man. You just obviously the Westbrook trade was awful. Letting Caruso go was awful. You gotta move, you gotta come up, you gotta get off Westbrook somehow, some way to the lot high to the lowest bidder, uh, even if it's just for cap space or you know, or spare part pieces, you know, anything is better than that. You know what I mean? Um, you might have to let go of THT. It's it's, it's a bad fit. He needs to be on ball a little bit more than what the Lakers will allow from him. You got to get another big to play with, uh, play with, and spell Anthony Davis. They got one center on the team right now. LeBron is playing the backup center, and he's you know clearly tired and gassed and feeling the wear and tear of it. So you just you got to address a few things in the offseason, man. They should be planning for that stuff now. You know, it's not about this year anymore. It's just a wrap. I would argue that these two people aren't responsible for why they're here, but it does feel most responsible, excuse me, but it does feel like Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel will be the two heads to roll after this season where it's they're going to Russ and then fire Vogel. Here's here's the thing. So I tell people all this, every time they ask me, it's like, I think the mistake people make is they try to put all the Lakers stuff on on one thing. Right. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a cheap front office. You know, Frank's a very stubborn coach. Uh, LeBron and AD did not come into the season, you know, all the way locked in. Um, and then Westbrook has not played well at all. And just, you know, all that's, and then 
on top of that, they can't get healthy to get any continuity. You know what I mean? So just yeah. a, it's a cluster of a whole bunch of things leading to this, you know, the disaster of a season that, you know, we've seen unfold. So it's a lot of things. Uh, anybody who blaming on just one thing, I think they're just being disingenuous and don't want to acknowledge the, the other factors and just looking for a, a scapegoat. When in reality, there are probably like four or five scapegoats to why the Lakers are this way at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's like, that's, a, that's just not, this, I don't, I don't care though. Just fix it. You got an off season coming up. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely feels like just a bunch of wrongs compounded upon each yep. other. Uh, so um, if I put you in charge of the Lakers and I have no doubt that you would do a better <laughs> job than the people that are currently in charge of the Lakers, you're, if you have the option of it's either just move Westbrook and you're not really giving up too many sweeteners, you're either doing it for just cheaper players on expiring contracts or maybe some, like there's not even enough cap space to go around, but yeah. there's that route or there's the, we're going to attach every feasible pick and swap to Westbrook and actually try and get value out of this trade. Which route are you going knowing that you are obligated to make the most of LeBron's window, right. but we're also getting age 38. LeBron next year. All right. Well, I think you try to do it the first way. And again, I think Westbrook's a little easier to move this offseason because it's an expiring deal. You know what I mean? Even if he opts in, it's an expiring deal. If he opts out, he lets you off the hook and you're good, right? But <laughs> I, I don't think he's opted in because I don't think he even gets a 10 million deal, 10 million year offer if he opts, right. if he opts out. So there's I'm just, you know, operating on the mind frame that he's opting in. Um, it's easier to deal an expiring deal. You know, 47 million, I think the just so much money. Yeah, I think a couple <laughs> teams have a lot of contracts they you know they want to unload. I think you know the Knicks have some contracts they want to unload. Uh Westbrook does sell tickets if, if nothing else. Um uh OKC is always gonna take it, might be a homecoming they can sell. You know, they're always looking for picks. The Lakers gonna attach that, you know, another first round pick to that. Um the Hawks have a lot of contracts, uh, you know, guys getting paid. They might want to unload some stuff. So I think this is much more feasible for Russ to get moved than people think, in my opinion, because it's an expiring deal. People are always looking for cap space and flexibility down the road. And And he sells tickets. Yeah, and then there's also, if depending on the team, if he's willing to negotiate a buyout, that opens up other teams in the fold who don't necessarily want him and are just doing it for if the Lakers are attaching a pick. Right, right, right. Like the OKC route, which would be, that would be a terrible look if it was OKC specifically, but (laughs) are there any silver linings that you can glean from this season for the Lakers moving forward? Um, I think Malik Monk showed that he is, you know, a keeper. Only thing is, I already saw other teams can afford to pay him a lot more than the Lakers can, so I think he's probably gone. Uh, we've showed you he's at least a rotation player uh, going forward. Uh, LeBron's told you he's still got plenty left in the tank, even if only for another year or two. It's enough to, you know, try to put something around him and give it one last shot. So I think those are are, are good things. Um, you know, Melo's been up and down. I think most of it's not his fault. He's just playing too much. He's supposed to be a spot guy. Ended up paying around 20 minutes a night, 25, which is way too much for him at this age. Um but yeah, you know, Reeves, Monk, LeBron showing you we still got some stuff left in the tank. Other than that, man, you know what? In the second half of the season, I think THT finally, you know, turned the corner a little bit. It was really rough the first half. I think the last, you know, few weeks to a month, he's really turned the corner with with his development and just getting more aggressive and comfortable, you know, scoring the ball, which is what you wanted to see from him, you know, from the jump. So, you know, those things. Other than that, man, put this season in rice, man. Uh, THT does not make sense as a human to me when you watch him around, like the angles or the way his body is yeah. <laughs> around the basket. Like it, I can't fathom it, but it's entertaining to watch 
I know you've talked about this team a bunch. Is there anything else that you just, any takes other takes on the Lakers that you feel the need to, to just get off right now? And, uh, Genie just can't be cheap, man. You got LeBron James. You can save money when he leaves, you know, cut corners there. But right now you got to push the chips in, man. That, that Caruso thing was, was a, was a, you know, that was a symptom of a bigger problem to come, man. Everything can't be money first when you're making decisions to win, you know, you got to spend to win. That's it is what it is. And that's all I got to say. You can't be cheap this off season. They need a federal government loan program to help them out with luxury taxes. That's what they need. Man. (laughs) Uh, to, so I asked you if, if we could go back and forth, if you have some time on just some other teams and players that you're most interested to watch right. as we get through the stretch run of the season. So oh, uh, sure. who who do you have? Who, who's on your uh, list? I actually have one in each conference. Uh, the question. So in the West, for me, um, it, it's Dallas. I think they're under the radar. That, that team is going to be extremely tough to beat in a seven-game series. So I know everybody's looking forward to the second-round matchup between you know, Phoenix and I mean, between Memphis and Golden State, like I think everybody's looking forward to that two, three matchup. But I think, you know, I think Luca and, and Dallas will beat Utah in the first round. I, I would, you know, go. So that's will be my pick if they match up. But I think Phoenix Dallas in round two is going to be a little more entertaining than people think it's going to be uh, one because Dallas defends so well, um, especially after that a rough start to the season. And then two, Dallas will have the best player on the floor, you know, late in close games. And I think that's always, you know, tricky to deal with, even as a favorite. The other team has the best player, and it's a close game, which, you know, playoff games tend to be more often than not, you know, things get tricky down the stretch. So I'm definitely, you know, I think Dallas is definitely going under the radar. You know, Jason Kidd has done a tremendous job. This dim-witty trade has been a godsend. He looks like a completely different player than he was in Washington. Um Another case of uh, veterans and, and location, me <laughs> and everything. And I just I think that's going to be a very entertaining second round series, potentially. And then in the East, for me, it's, it's uh, I hate them, man. But the Celtics, bro, it's just when you have a team again, I'm leaning on defense from a team of defense like that. And they have a superstar that's, you know, able and willing to close basketball games. It's just it's a it's a bear to beat a team like that four teams out of four times out of seven. You know what I mean? Um, the East for me is all. It's not about seeding for me with the East. It's all about matchups. It's gonna right. be all about matchups with the East because I think from round one on, you in for a battle. Even as the one, or, yeah, like the, the, right, <laughs> right. Even as the one or two seed, you could be playing. You know the Nets, and let's say the the mayor messes around, pulls the mandate. All of a sudden, you got the full strength Nets. And a refreshed Kyrie. You can see the fresh legs showing lately for Kyrie. Does not have dealt with any of the wear and tear of the season. He's got completely fresh legs and he's just tearing the league up right now. So imagine dealing with that and KD and you're the, the one seed and the two seed. You know what I mean? That that's your <laughs> that's your prize. Even imagine going through an 82 game schedule, getting the first or the second seed, and you're that's what I'm saying. Kevin Durant and Kyrie. It's not right. even just Kevin Durant, it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie. That's what I'm saying. And then you know he did. You never know about Ben. We'll see what happens with him if, if he plays. Uh, I'm getting a little worried about that, but I think even for that next year, the Nets are going to be really something with him in the lineup. So I think it's a, he's only 24, so it's, it's a long-term thing with him uh, at his age. But, yeah, man, the Celtics for me. Because right now, let's say, you know, Philly has a really tough stretch coming up. I posted their schedule in the next two weeks. Let's say Philly falls to four and they got to get this, you know, scorching hot Boston team in the first round in the four or five series. Um, 
you know, Embiid and Harden could be going home in round one playing playing the wrong team. And that's just how good the East is this year. Really quickly on Dallas, I skewered them for the Kristaps Porzingis trade, <laughs> not because I thought Porzingis was good, but because I thought Dinwiddie was played so poorly this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Davis Bertans was cooked. Bertans hasn't been necessarily great for them, but you could just see the dynamic of their offense change when you go from stationary Porzingis to yep. Davis Bertans <laughs> flying all around. Right. And then, like you said, Dinwiddie's shooting a trillion percent from the floor. <laughs> and so if you go into a playoff series where we've seen Luka perform um, against the Clippers now twice, you right. now have two other guys who can create, and Jalen Brunson's a little small. He struggled last year, but now you add Dinwiddie to that too. They right. absolutely might just be a tough out, and they're another team, as you also already mentioned. You don't look at them on paper and like, oh, they're a top seven defense, and then oh shit, they're a top seven defense. Right, exactly, right. And I think like stuff like that when you wonder like where the pieces are, you know, you got to attribute it to the coach. And I know Jason Kidd caught a lot of flack for his you know past couple coaching stops, but. Uh, just like players develop, you know, coaches do too. You know, they learn things, they pick up things, you know, learn from their mistakes. Um, and he looks like he's got a pretty good handle on what he's doing this season. Um, so I have one from each conference as well. And I promise I'm not trying to be like too much of a nerd with this, <laughs> but I'm fascinated by what the Spurs are doing because they're so like actually building now that their guard rotation following the Derek White trade interests me where they have Lonnie Walker doing more there's more ball screens for Devin Vassell. Right. And I'm kind of infatuated with Trey Jones. Like he just has like this in-between game and can throw these nifty bounce passes. I don't know that they have an actual tent pole star on that team, DeJounte <laughs> Murray included, but they just have so many intriguing guys on the perimeter all right. of a sudden, including Keldon Johnson, who's done more, more with the ball in his hands. They're a team that I just like can't help but watch, even though if they make the play in, it's almost on accident at this point. Right. I think there are two two games out, right? It's, right. Uh, it's, so, yeah, I just – I've always been a, a DeJounte Murray uh, believer. I thought he was a steal, you know, late in that draft. Uh, he did, to, you know, have the ACL injury, so I think that's, you know, will force him to drop. But, um, yeah, man, I, I actually – if the Spurs were actually, you know, in, in solid playoff position, I think DeJounte would be all in B. I think he's, like, the one guy on the team that's probably going to be a star. And – I love Lonnie Walker, man. I, I've been big on him. I'm glad he's starting to turn the corner. I think that's probably why they traded Derek Wright, just to um, open up some of the log jam there and give right. guys other opportunities. So, you know, I'll be rooting against him as a Pelican supporter and a Lakers supporter fighting for those last two spots, man. But, you know, I, I think I do think you do raise some good points about those guys. Those are those are all going to be pretty good young players. I think the Spurs just need – Spurs have really good pieces. They just don't have a guy. And maybe Murray turns into that. But they just need a guy right now. It'd That's why like, it'd be funny is that they just would have kept Kawhi. You know, they'd probably be a contender right now with all they've done. <laughs> or maybe if they didn't trade Kawhi for DeRozan and went the right. route at that point. Right, right, right. And I, I don't want them to make the play. And I'm with you. I'd like to see what this team does with like a really high lottery pick because we've seen the mind talent later in the draft. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lotteries. Like, let me see the Spurs with like a top four pick. I, yeah, I think Ka 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 Kawhi was their highest pick in like. But 15 years, right? It's, like, it's always late first round, late second round, right? Have they have, have they had a lottery pick in the last 15 years? I think Vassell was a lottery pick. No, my mister Right, right. Vassell, Vassell. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. But nothing top 10, though, right? Nothing top 10. No. Top yeah. <laughs> no. They did one so much. <laughs> uh, and then the other team, and this is just because I'm a perennial self-sabotager. I am a Knicks fan. And it's sort of like the car crash theory where you can't look away. And I know they're playing the younger guys more to the point that I don't know if you saw Tibbs the other day said no one plays youngsters more than we do, which is just like 
next level ignorance to to look at New York's rotation this season and say that. But I am very intrigued by like I like what RJ Barrett has done. I love that Emmanuel quickly is getting like not not as quick as a hook now. And Quentin Grimes is very interesting. Jericho Sims has come on and makes me sort of wonder what's going to happen with Mitchell Robinson as he goes into free agency. Um, I'm also just curious to see like what Thibodeau does. Does he like, what if they sort of get closer to the play-in? Is he going to start coaching this team to where Todd Gibson's playing in crunch time? <laughs> and then what are the after effects of all this? Because there was the report today that his job is safe and I don't necessarily yeah. think he's the issue there, but if he's not going to commit to developing a lot of guys that are more important to this team than Julius Randle, or I'm really tired of hearing about Derek Rose's injury, because if you're tethering your livelihood to a 33 year old Derek Rose yep. in the year 2022, that's on you. That's like, that's on you on the flawed vision. So I'm just, I am a fan, but I'm also just like, I don't necessarily also understand what's happening here as they are playing some of these youngsters a little bit more. Yeah. So I paid attention to the Knicks because, you know, Julius Randle was a former Laker. I keep track of all the, you know, baby Lakers uh, who were youngsters. Um, it's weird. He was playing so terrible this year. And I feel like the last few weeks, it's like he's gotten back to form a little bit from last year. So that's weird to see. Um, yeah, man, I think the Knicks just got to go young. And I don't think necessarily, you know, Tim is doing a bad job. Which I don't think he's a developer. He's a win-now guy. I'm going to – if you get me vets, I'm going to play them. I'm going to put us in a position – to win every game to the best of my ability. That's just who Tibbs is. He's always been that way. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. If the Knicks decide they want to go the youth route, he may not be the guy. But I still, right. still think Tibbs is a pretty good coach. It's just a matter of does the roster suit, you know, his style. And I think that's a decision that the, the Knicks have to make up top. Since you're a coach, is it – am I oversimplifying it by just wondering, like, can we see Julius Randle, like, work as a screen and dive guy a little bit more? I don't need to see yeah. – these ISOs into a yeah. anymore. Yeah, that was the thing. I, I think, you know, Tim sort of reminds me of Vogel a little bit in the sense that the, the lack of creativity offensively uh, it gets maddening sometimes. Um, so for me, even the Julius, Julius was second team all NBA last year, and I was still was screaming, I was still was tweeting in the offseason, please go trade for a guy that makes him, you know, your secondary guy on offense. He's not an offensive engine. He's just not, he had a career year, but he's just not an offensive engine. And, and they didn't. And I think he, you know, crashed back down to earth hard uh, this season. I think he works as your second or third best, pop, you know, preferably your third best option. But, you know, second best is possible. You can do him be good, but he should not be your offensive engine. It's just, uh, you know, the right hand is still lacking. The jumper comes and goes. You just need somebody a little more consistent, you know, in, in one or both of those categories to be an offensive engine. Jason, this was great. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. Are you able to just tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, follow me on Twitter, JJMables55 underscore uh, MST. Um, you can follow or subscribe to the Temple of Who podcast. The link is in, in my bio. Um, again, just, you know, we do stuff like this every week. Bring people on. We let them talk basketball with. Uh, definitely got to send Dan an invite to us now. You know, she's got to return the favor. I'd be honored. Uh, yeah. And you and Kings have great chemistry on that podcast, by the way. Yeah, it was funny. I, I invited Kings because, you know, uh, he's a big LeBron guy. And I was like, who can I argue with every week and not have him get out of out of line? Like, that's the line I was towing there. So that, that's why we started it. But, uh, yeah, you can follow, subscribe to Temple of Hoop. You know, similar, you know, vibes. Just like to talk basketball, you know, keep it fun, you know, keep it knowledgeable and, you know, build from there.
Uh, I also think you did, I know you did the live show last week. I think that's awesome that you interact with so many people on Twitter and through stuff like that. I think that's really cool because you have a ton of followers. So I know your mentions must be a mess. And I'm pretty sure like every tweet I see from you goes viral or semi-viral. So I think it's yeah. really cool that you still put an effort in to just interact with everyone who follows, follows you. Yeah, I respect yeah. that. Yeah, just trying to reciprocate the love, man. You know, like, you know, not trying to sound like a, a Academy Award winner, but you only go so far doing this stuff that, you know, people are going to, you know, interact and, and listen to what you put out there, right? So I do want to show a little bit of love. You know, we have started, you know, do a live show every Wednesday night on Green Room. So that's, you know, the second one's tonight, actually. So, you know, we'll see how. I just, just want to keep showing love to people that, you know, keep hitting that download button for us, man. We, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, and I second everything you said. So guys, check out Temple of Hoop, follow Jason on Twitter. And again, thank you so much for doing this. And I rest assured, I will be pestering you again in the future. <laughs> All good, man. Thank you for having me.